0: Welcome to Between Two Curators, the podcast where two friends and well curators discuss art, life, and what or rather who inspires them. I'm Cliff.
1: And I'm Jen. And in this episode, we speak to the marvelous Nico Muli, composer, owner of a really cute dog, <laughs> creator of over 100 <laughs> works for the concert stage, including the opera Marnie, musical score for The Reader. I mean, I really could go on. But it'd be much more interesting to hear from Nico. Hi, Nico. Hello, hello,
0: hello. hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs)
1: Um, So Nico, I thought we could kick off. I mean, you're a composer and there's definitely a running thread to your compositions. You know, a sense of twinkle, a play, a hover. You might kill me for using those terms, but that's what I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're pluralistic in your collaborations, right? From, I don't know, doing collaborations with choreographer Benjamin Milpied to musician Sophia Stevens. So varied. How did it all start, and how did it snowball?
2: Okay, uh, that's a that's a good question. I mean, do do you want me to go back into sort of early childhood, or oh, or yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 where you <laughs> <Okay>. were too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I can I can do this. Uh, so, um, my parents, neither of them is musical, but but uh, my. Father's a filmmaker, docu- documentarian, and my mother's a painter. And so I grew up in a house that had music in it. Mm. And um, they listened, they had sort of eclectic tastes. Uh, they're in their mid 70s. So they had everything from kind of the uh, early music revival, Purcell to Joni Mitchell to the Rolling Stones, whatever. I was living at that time in Providence, Rhode Island, when I was about eight or nine years old. And I started playing the piano in that sort of terrible way that kids play the piano. Simultaneously, (laughs) I was in a a boys' choir in an Anglican church, Mm. and there was something about the combination of the sort of Music that I was learning on the piano, and the kind of severity of um, early Renaissance music in church that that really clicked for me. So I, I was maybe eleven or twelve when suddenly I thought, okay, this is a real this is a real thing yeah. that I'm into. And be, I think because I was doing two things, I got better at both of them at once. If that makes sense. So yeah. there was, it was like one one helped the other, um, and then <clears throat> all throughout high school. So from sort of uh, 14 to 18, I started taking it more and more seriously. I started studying privately. Um, it was sort of unfocused because that, at that time there wasn't really a, a set of clear schemes for young composers, um, mm-hmm. except for in the summer I went to Tanglewood, which is this kind of uh, ideal, uh, you know, paradise for young musicians. And I then got into Juilliard and got into Columbia Sorry. University and... Um, And, uh, then, okay. So (laughs) I feel like I'm just rehashing my entire life's history. We Um, like to
1: keep it really casual, you know, (laughs) just like, exactly.
2: Exactly. Um, and so I would say actually going back to your initial question, the thing that I learned at Juilliard, that's been the kind of governing force behind my life was to write for your friends and to Uh. find your family, find your musical family at that time. Um, and what you learn from writing for your friends and from working with friends um, is a sense of sort of extending yourself and then retracting yourself um, into other people's musical worlds. And whether or not that's a flute player or a composer or um, a songwriter or a filmmaker, whatever it is, you, I learned that stuff in this very um, DIY way. Um, I also at the same time had uh, a job working almost full time for the composer Philip Glass who himself has this wonderful um, uh, sort of semi-formalized way of working for his friends which is to say he has his own ensemble the Philip Glass Ensemble Mm. so he'd write music for them and as a result of that music other organizations who weren't the Philip Glass Ensemble started paying attention and commissioning him so there was always this dichotomy between music for friends and music for strangers and that was something which I really took on board um and that's basically how my life is organized now i'm working with collaborators who are our friends and who either friends who become collaborators or collaborators who become friends um and as a result of a lot of that work that i was doing in my early 20s then strangers start calling so random orchestras (laughs) random soloists
1: hey nico Um, who that that?" (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. random, <laughs> random <blockbuster laughs> yeah, random, random blockbuster movies, random internationally renowned
0: concert halls.
2: <laughs> that is, but that, is, that, is, kind of, that yeah. is kind of how it feels. Here's here's the here's the culprit um, in all the Oscar. We
0: have a nice view of the dog Oscar.
2: Oscar, you want to type in the podcast? All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there you
0: go. Thanks, thanks so much for that. Sort of uh, in a nutshell. Uh, and, a, and a great follow your, follow your dreams story, you know, as a, as a young kid, finding mm. a little bit of talent there and then just running with it. It's really great. Um, I wonder if you could uh, unpick a little bit, expand on um, the, the two sort of sides things. On the one, you've got American minimalism. Uh, you mentioned Philip Glass. Maybe there's a little bit of John Cage hanging out in the background there. Um, but on the other hand, the, the Anglican choral tradition. Um, and participating that in a choir sure and combining the two of those and and how you
2: balance attention or you know
0: combine them in, in your work today
2: okay um, that's a good question um, <clears throat> I can answer that in two different ways uh, so the tradition of concert music is one of you know it's a very it's a very formal ritualized old-fashioned way of going about things um, there are now kind of more modern variations on how, the, how that can work um, with, you know, small ensembles uh, who perform amplified, who do kind of more casual formats of concerts. But in, in general, the history of that kind of music making is formal. Um, and it happens usually in the evening. And it happens um, in a kind of, uh, well, again, it's a sort of ritualized mm-hmm. way, right? Whereas, you know, Whereas church music, even though it is in fact a ritual, there is a sense that the music exists uh, as a helping role. The music is is sort of, I like to think about it as a function of the ecclesiastical architecture, Mm. where, for instance, nobody claps, nobody cares Uh. who you are. It happens at a really specific time, not just of day but of year, so for instance uh, we 're recording this now uh, just after Whit Sunday after Pentecost, and there is music in the Anglican tradition and in other traditions, which you will only hear on that Sunday right yeah. at eleven o 'clock in the morning or four thirty in the afternoon and that to me, having those two things in my mind of the kind of specialness of concert music and this and the specificity of of um choral music for instance like you know people need half an excuse to do a beethoven symphony right that can happen any day yeah. any week anywhere whatever whereas whereas what's great about choral music or church music is that it is so specific to that moment and the composer is kind of she kind of erases herself right and vanishes into into um the overall atmosphere of the place um i was you said something that I wanted to go back on, but now I'm forgetting what, now I'm forgetting what it is that you said. Oh, I actually wanted to, wanted to talk about the idea of like following your dreams as a, as yeah. an idea. One of the things that I found on, on further reflection, both kind of, musically and personally is that I'm actually very, I'm actually not very ambitious at all. And I'm, I'm very reactive. Um, And so certainly it was not the case that when I was 18 or when I was 15 or when I was 11 that I envisioned or set this goal that I've been sort of approaching for the last, you know, 30 years, whatever it is. So I, I, I found that in fact, not having that kind of ambition or that kind of, that kind of um, thirst for, for lack of a better word uh, was actually really helpful because it helped me. It helped me when I was young, say yes to everything. And so to not think, okay, this is part of my plan or this is not part of my plan, or this feels like on this, on the right track versus not on the right track. So I think having, having that sense of sort of, um, I don't want to say capricious, but, but having that sense of, of serendipity and, Allowing things to allowing things to occur to one rather than being constantly um, constantly proactive and kind of driven by any other thing than the yeah. world itself. And I, I say this knowing that I had the you know enormous luxury of doing that in places that you know that I was like surrounded by you know what opportunity. Uh, but anyway, that 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 to me is a, if if I was if I'm ever giving advice to younger composers, I say like try to figure out what's in your environment already. Um, try to figure out who's around you already before you, before you start saying, okay, by um, the time I'm 25, I'm going to write a symphony. By the time I'm 30, I'm going to write an opera. By the time I'm 35, I'll have worked with these singer-songwriters. It's like, that's not quite, I, I, that, that would never have worked for me. And I, I think it's good to keep your mind open. To I think that's accents. good nuance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: That's really interesting. And it really translates, Oh God, I mean, into, into the art world, but you know, that's going down another <laughs> rabbit hole, yeah. but you know, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah. I, I, I love this idea of, you know, a story and how do you tell a story, right? And it doesn't have to be prescribed and it can be a personal one. And it's something that's just constantly developing. And there is an idea of doing as opposed to overthinking. And what I'm sensing throughout everything is a, you said reactive. And I think that's a really perfect term, but also this agility, um, and this kind of links into something else that I wanted to talk to you because whenever I've I've listened to your albums, or you know, even when I went to the Royal Festival Hall, right, and I went and listened mm. to the Ballad of Two Sisters, there might be sometimes a literal story, like there is mm-hmm. in the Ballad yeah. of Two Sisters, or other one that's woven through through notes, uh, right, and different um, textures to the to, to the music. But I was I was wondering whether. You, this is something that you think about right if you think about and you know s- stories or revisiting stories when it comes to the music that you make
2: that's a that's a great question i mean i think there's a very easy way to uh, i you know let, let me put it this way: there, there's an easy way to, to divide that up, and there's a complicated way. Um, <laughs> you can say, I mean, in the same way, you can say there's representational art and there's abstract art, right? That's the kind of. Not, I don't want to say that's the that's the reductive way of saying it, right? You're like this is this is a a piece about this, or this is a piece that depicts this.
1: That's really and then there's interesting, some, yeah.
2: Then yeah. you know, and I think I think to a certain extent, something like an opera or um, to you know traditional song forms are more are more um, evidently about something. Mm. So the work, you know, the work is there. There's a there's a clear connection between um, signified and signifier in a way that that is immediately perceptible. Um, and then finding further meaning, uh, you know, comes with first, second, third, fourth, fifth listenings or viewings or um, whatever that is don't you find yeah um and then and then you know so for instance like if if you're writing an opera obviously your job is to tell a story that's kind of what's going on um in a narrative opera of course there are ones that aren't but let's 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 restrict it to that (laughs) for now um and i think you know text almost immediately sets up an expectation of narrative and so even if you're working with for instance you know cut up text that's just words or cut up text that's you know. With sounds or whatever. There's still this expectation of of a sense of reality. Yeah. Uh, whereas, <clears throat> you know, concert music is much more difficult, um, which is to say, music that doesn't have text and music that exists in the in the kind of pure abstract. Um, and something that we wrestle with all the time in classical music is how to talk about something like a Mozart symphony, like literally what do we want to impose a meaning on it mm. you know do we want to impose a a narrative on it and i've always found that there's a kind of i i feel two completely opposite ways about yeah. about this like sometimes when i'm thinking about for instance beethoven right this is beethoven year we're all listening to a lot of beethoven <laughs> i
0: beethoven's going up a lot <laughs>
2: it's really it's very it's a very beethoven time in our lives i sometimes i really 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 want to know um absolutely nothing about what i'm listening to and i want to appreciate it as this completely like it's the relationship of c to e flat and then the e flat to the f sharp and this to that and i want to see it as like dots on a page and i want to i want to take it i want to receive it in the absolute abstract um and I want to, it's like, I want to eat the dish and I want to be able to analyze, like, okay, there's caraway seeds, but he toasted them, but then he put them in a blender, but yeah. then some were like fresh at the end, whatever. I, I want to do that form of analysis. And then other times, you know, especially listening to romantic music, other times I really want to turn it into a tabloid and I want to know <laughs> like, you know, no, but it's really crazy. Yeah. Where I'm, I, I, I want to know like exactly, like, did he walk into the room while like Clara Schumann was getting your... Eight, and I want to know exactly who had syphilis and I want to know exactly where they lived in Vienna and I want to know like what they you know what was for breakfast and I want to know all that um, <laughs> so I think that's you know everyone has different relationships to abstraction and, and I, but I think about this with visual art too where you know <clears throat> the your ability to go through an exhibition with absolute blinders on to the wall text and just say i literally yes, want to look 100%. at this mm-hmm. right like in, and yeah, and I'm now wall text is getting more interesting like if you go to the vna i i had the weird experience of being in the vna um alone like after hours and you know you can walk through some of those rooms and and just just take visual information right or you zoom in to the wall text well, and there's... i couldn't hear what I'm sorry Siri thinks i'm talking to her um, <laughs> and you can zo- zoom in on the wall text And there's level one, which is, let me, you know, let's show you what this Ethiopian kind of Orthodox goblet is. And let's look at the, you know, writing and translate it from whatever. And then the next level is, is let's talk about the colonial history by which this arrived at this museum. And let's talk about, you know, let's plant the seeds for you to know more about Ethiopian claims on the Ark of the Covenant. Italian colonialism in the Horn of Africa, the history of British colonialism as it relates to other colonial powers after World War II. Like there's yeah. so much that you so can. So much
1: richness, yeah.
2: So much richness. And then the question becomes, and I think this is something we all have to wrestle with as consumers of art and as creators and as curators, is how do you how do you set up an environment in which all possible interpretations or non-interpretations can exist? Yeah. I don't, sorry, that sounds wrong. Like that was no, like no, a no. lot of information.
1: No, not a lot of information. But it's <laughs> all at the same something.
0: time in parallel universes, all at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's really interesting hearing you uh, speak. I'm going to ask a slightly off piece question, um, but be- because the way that you describe things is, is intention, it's often topographical, and it made me think about you. You talking just about your your um, your growing up and and what you were saying there about nuancing a sort of. Uh, uh, you know a follow your passion kind of story or just be open to things um, at what point did you make a shift from being a pianist an individual musician to thinking about composition to then thinking about you know collaboration with um, other musicians other art forms and, and and larger stage
2: direction and so forth sure um, you know that I, I I don't have a concrete answer for that and I think I think um, if you asked 20 composers how they got started composing, you'd you'd get kind of 20 different answers about the origin story. Oftentimes, it's very similar to mine, where it's like you started playing an instrument and then eventually started wanting to explore the difference between being on the other side of the piece of paper, right? So it's instead of interpreting something, instead of looking at it this way, doing it this way, like being being the, the right. thing. And I think a lot of composers started writing for themselves, as in if you were a pianist, you'd write for yourself to play on the piano. And I certainly did that. And I certainly wrote choral music that the idea being that like you could sing it in the church that I was singing in. Um, So there's a, there's an initial sense of sort of mimicry and, and, um, you know, looking in the mirror. And then at a certain point, those things start becoming divorced um, in a healthy way. But then, you know, it's an interesting question. And this is something that I would, I would turn on anyone who's listening to this, which is... There's a noun and there's a verb for making stuff, and you can say, for instance, um, "I play the violin" versus "I'm a violinist," and that shift happens at a at a moment, usually in the background of the hard drive, like it's processing, and you think, and I I think I wasn't sure the difference between "I'm at school for composition" and "I'm a composer," mm. and I don't know when that really when that really changes. Um, I could probably put that for me uh, somewhere around my first or second year of grad school, but it's weird, right? Because it's like, it's like I'm studying to be a composer or I'm studying composition. Like there's a lot of different, you know, ways to, to describe it. And I think in the, in a similar way, actually, the way that we think about the liberal arts, like if you the English, that doesn't mean that you're, you know, if you study like English literature, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be a novelist. Right. Yeah. Or so there's, a you know, the itinerary um, can, can and should diverge. And I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak neither ill nor, you know, whatever, but I I, I would be interested to know how many people who went to art school for anything, whatever it is, um, ended up actually making art as a, as their, career or, oh, sure. or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's such a weird question. And it's like, you know, the, we have these conservatories and we have these these art schools and we have film school and we have all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I, I know I can say that one of the things that I think Juilliard sort of ill prepares one for, at least at that time in the, in the early knots, was to do anything that wasn't the thing that you were there to do. So that mm. there wasn't a there wasn't a situation of like, okay, if you don't turn into the world's most famous cello soloist or whatever, like now what? <laughs> you now know? what, yeah. And, <laughs> and I think it's the same I think it's the same with, with artists and writers and everything where, you know, it's it's this bizarre sense of of there's either making it or not making it, which I hate because there's so much there's so much work in the arts that's not you know again, it's like so in classical music, for instance, the people who the people who are kind of driving the boat are are curators. the people who are mm-hmm. the people who are driving the, the boat are concert programmers. they're people who run venues, they're people who run um, you know it's 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 the difference it, it's those subtle differences between working at a museum, being a gallerist, being a guest curatrix, like whatever you know all those different ways in which actually people. Are kind of behind the scenes um, and in front of it. it, There's there's a lot going on. So that sorry, that's that's a long way to answer your question, which I still don't know. (laughs) I still don't know the answer.
1: (laughs) I think it's so interesting though because I think about you know I mean I, I studied law first and I studied art history and I can point to two people in my class who are curators nowadays mm-hmm. and then a lot of people who were calling themselves curators back in the day but then who were not necessarily doing anything so in in the, you know that would represent that so it was this duality between being and actually doing and then at a certain point maybe being and doing and describing actually all meet um right
2: yeah but i think i mean i don't know if you've, you found this too it's like something that I, re- I really dislike is the idea that is the idea that it has to be that some that somehow you've done something wrong, or somehow that somehow the world has conspired either ag- like against you if you're not doing exactly the thing that you thought you were going to do. Absolutely not.
1: Um,
2: no. So no, I, but but again, there is there is a sense of, like like for instance, when people sort of when people congratulate one on one's success, the flip side of that congratulations is a sense of you know question mark for people who didn't who didn't arrive in that same location there's there's an imagined sort of topography of Mm -hmm. of like the mountain that you climb and then you get to the summit and it's like i i try very very hard to resist anything like that um because i think it's really unhelpful
1: (laughs) yeah we're just gonna Mm. make my next question not, hopefully not awkward, but I'm like, I want to talk about Marnie for two seconds.
2: <laughs> sure, let's <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: um, So Marnie, uh, you know, an incredible opera that you wrote. Um, it premiered in, in London, right? And then it was over at the Met Gala in 2018. And um, if people have not heard of Marnie out there beforehand, it was um, a libretto first and then it was picked up by Hitchcock and made into a film. And it's quite a striking story, right, of female identity. And mm. actually now I've just realized I maybe to a certain extent, you also revisited that story, right? From when Hitchcock reinterpreted it. And um, yeah, there's two things. So I I just wanted to maybe find out a little bit more about that. But also, maybe we can talk about the stylization of it and how that it's it's not just what you hear, right? It's what you see. It's the movement. There's so many different angles, right? Um, Right. And it's spectacular, so I wanted <laughs> huge to huge <laughs> collaboration.
2: Huge, yeah. sure, yeah. I mean, grand grand opera, which is what this is, yeah, um, is a very, very intense and very bizarre form sure. of art <laughs> and theater. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, I've I've written two of these things, and mm. it's terrifying each time because, as you said, there's a million things going on, not just not just. Presentationally, at the end, you know, at the seven performances that it gets or whatever, in which definitely there's, you know, there's dance, there's this, there's movement, there's things, there's people behind stage, people upstage, this spotlight, that thing, <laughs> video, that you know, it's all happening. Um, uh, yes, um, but also as you as you pointed out, it's like it was a novel by Winston Graham, which then Hitchcock did in his own weird way which and then the novel turned into Nicholas Wright's libretto which then I somehow turned into this thing with Michael Mayer the director and then we worked in tandem with these designers and and so there was this real sense of there's a million people involved in it but the master text for an opera remains the score and that's something which in that sense um the collaborative nature of it is fugued a little bit by the, by the idea that there is still this central document and I think you know um, with film you have a lot of people in and out of different levels of control mm. but you know in certain situations you wouldn't necessarily have the script writer involved in the very very end yeah, <laughs> you know process or you would right but it's but with opera for me the terrifying thing was the extent to which, um, not me, by the way, like this document that I made is, and, and what, what, an opera, in fact, let me, let me show you something. <laughs> um, uh, is this it? Okay. This is it. Um, okay. This is what it looks like, right? Oh my it God. is, it is 354 pages long, <laughs> it took you know three and a half years to write. This is just the piano score. So the orchestra score is like this big. But wow. you know, that's that's what I was paid to create is this document, right? And then this becomes this master text from which, you know, the stage manager imposes her own thing, right? On which the lighting designer imposes his own thing, on which the video design team and the and the set design. So there's there's an enormous amount of of simultaneous interpretation of mm. the same text, um, right? And then, similar to, to what you said before, you know, it, yes, it's a it. You can say that it's a story about like women's identity, although again, you know, th- I I would like to think as as a member of like what was a primarily male um, uh, creative team for you know we can that's a different conversation yes. uh, that 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 was a that was a interpretive possibility we wanted to set up but not over curate
0: mm.
2: um because no one wants that um uh, but then also you know it the the piece can be a commentary on um disguise yeah and it can be a commentary on lying mm. and it can be a commentary on you know f- for me what she is and for those of you who don't know the plot basically she's a she's a woman who who for whatever reason keeps on changing identities, getting new jobs in different cities, getting close to the, close enough to the boss that she gets the, the um she gets the ability somehow to get close to the safe, steals the money, changes her identity again. And in a weird way, you know, she creates these full identities with backstories and names. in a strange way she's actually a composer isn't she? Right? Mm-hmm. So she she create she's like a she's like an opera composer creating all these women. So I, I I don't know the, the, I to me that was another kind of interpretive register that I wanted to again outline without populating.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's in the opera there are physical manifestations of the sort of the multiplicitness of the personality
2: there on, right. on stage and, and, and yeah. in music. I'm wondering. And if you can you, see them. You can yeah. see them right here. Actually, these are these are uh these those are the the five the five women who represent her past. Oh. <laughs> That's...
0: Very cool. Um. You spoke a bit um, about the, that with an opera, that being the the origin text, and the source text, and um, I'm glad you brought up a film as well because you've uh, you've composed quite a bit for film, and I and I've always felt in some ways a bit sorry for a composer who writes for film because it it, it seems like that um, piece of music s- tends to serve you know editing so much. <laughs> it's like you you know you watch a film and you're just getting into the and then it cuts. That piece of music right. is gone, and then um, you've got uh, you know characters who have their theme that then um, you know at least in some pretty blockbuster movies is a little repetitive, becomes a bit heavy handed. Um, sure. But in terms of the the contrast between having a, a musical document, which sort of uh, which everything stems from stems from is, is really the trunk of the tree um, versus having uh, you know taking commission, but then having that uh, slightly sliced and diced or mm-hmm. um, put to a different means. I wonder if you could just talk about the, the spread of collaboration between those two.
2: Sure. Um, actually, that's a very a very um, good way of putting it, right? So what we just discussed is the opera being this kind of primary text, right? Like the score is the primary text. With a film, in a lot of cases, the score is the last thing that happens, right? So every, you know, mm. they film, they've edited it, and then the composer gets this kind of pretty close to done version of it, right? and you're generating a fair amount of music could be some- somewhere between you know 40 minutes and an hour you know it depends on how the music works in the score um then in a lot of cases the score is doing cleanup work right it's like a scene that would be unwatchable without without mm. score yeah um the score is like making it clear or un- for, 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 un- more unclear but on purpose what what is uh what's happening right I find that because so much of my work is this kind of solitary you know we give you a pile of money you give us a score no one's going to talk about anything we're just going to do what you said because that's how that works you know it's like for instance like I I I just finished a uh, a piece for orchestra and it's like they literally called me a year and a half ago they were like we want 5 minutes for orchestra it's due on this date here, how many instruments we have, and then you give it to them, and then they'll perform it next year. Mm. Um, whereas the film, it's like, okay, you have three weeks to do this, and it's this totally collaborative chaos process. You're never driving the car. There's like a director. There's a crazy producer. There's an <laughs> out of touch producer. There's a really good <laughs> producer. Like some editors will have stuff to say you know the director's like boyfriend will have you you know there's like a million a million people in a room and as the composer i find your job is to work incredibly athletically so mm. all of the stuff that you learned in conservatory all of the stuff that you learned in real life all of the stuff that you that you've learned in through past experiences has to come to bear on this one marathon is what it feels like not actually no it's like a series of sprints that's actually a better way to put it um so you're working against a hard deadline and you're working against you're working with um a lot of different voices some rational some not all those people have been working on this thing for way longer than you have all those people have been under a lot of stress about other stuff. Mm. <laughs> a lot of those people are still under stress about that thing. <laughs> so basically, the composer comes in at the end and kind of navigates all of this very quickly. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an honor and it's a challenge and it's, um, it's very different from working in other ways, and I really like it. So I'm, I'm. I, I I scored a film earlier this year that was um, a, a entirely Japanese made movie in Japanese about um, the a uh, Japanese team of scientists working on the atomic bomb at like in the five days before uh, the United States dropped dropped wow. the two bombs. It's an incredibly incredibly wow. yeah. difficult, almost unwatchable, in a good way, like tense. Thing. And you know they 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 brought me in, and it's like you just jump into this river of information and emotion, and and your job is to basically it's really it's uh, your job is really confusing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but but
2: <laughs> but what you do is is again you 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 have you know two months or something to make forty five minutes of music that that has not just. It's not cosmetic, right? It's not just give us some wallpaper during which this happens. It's incredibly emotionally, politically, uh, e- everything is like hypercharged. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's that. That's been my experience.
1: <laughs> it's incredible. It sounds like you've been you were given all these ingredients, right? There's multiple different opinions on recipes. <laughs> And you're yeah, like, no, I'm going to do it. This, way. And you have to, yeah. you know, and, and, and make something that, as I, I think wallpaper was such a great term because it's not just going to sit there. It needs to weave its way in. It needs to just spread life, osmosis, right? Um, Nico, I have so many, we have so many further questions for you, but uh, we are actually running out of time because we've had so much to <laughs> say. So we want to <laughs> ask you uh, one final question. Which is, what creative inspiration do you have for our listeners?
2: Do you mean what advice do I have? (laughs) No, no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What creative inspiration? I feel it's all been pretty inspirational. Do you have any like tidbits?
2: Wow. Um, You know, it's funny. I'm not sure. I, I actually don't quite know how to answer that because in general, I can say, I can say, um, let's see. If I'm asked a variation on this question, it is like, what would you, what would you tell younger younger people? What would you tell younger artists? Um, but in the case of in the case of uh, inspiration, right now, I think it's a actually an almost impossible question to ask in the best of times. Uh. Um, and right now, we're in this unbelievably complicated universe. Right? It's like there's a pandemic there's um, this this completely crazy kind of racist violence and the reactions to it. Um, I'm speaking as an American and as someone who's in America at this time yeah um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm also sp- I'm also speaking as someone who is used to traveling. I've never been in one place for this long, and the idea that this will continue for several months is really is really crazy and in a lot of cases you know inspiration in the kind of etymologically radical radical sense of like breathing in it's it's difficult to do when you're used to being in a different um atmosphere when you're used to breathing a certain kind of air and then you now now you're breathing a a, um, uh. a different one and i i don't want to be a downer but i think i think that you know maybe for most of the day if I go online, if I go wherever, talk to my friends, there's this instinct right now to say, you know, this sort of phoenix instinct, like from the rubble, something beautiful will come, right? And I would say nine times out of 10, when people say that, I want to just be like, no, that's not where where we are. Like, and, you know, I find it difficult to read about, to read about art being made at this moment um, because I'm finding it difficult to make because it mm, feels mm. it feels extra um, it can feel, I don't want to say it feels but it can feel extra frivolous it can feel extra decorative for me to be writing you know, to be setting this like 16th century poetry, like what am I doing, you know what I mean and, and it's, it's incredibly uh, humiliating in a weird way mm-hmm. to be forced to really ask why any of us are doing this yeah. and and you know, it went away so quickly overnight. Everything's gone until January. Yeah, like it wasn't. You know, it's it's just it's just gone. And so then you really have to ask yourself, like, why do we go to the concerts? Like, why do we need them, right? If people, if if we're happy to do work over Zoom, right, with audio, you know, why do we have concert halls? Like, and and, and you know, I'm not asking that in a kind of you know burn them down way, but I'm saying it's. It, at, at this moment, the only kind of inspiration I can give is to go all the way down, all the way in to the to the real kernel of why it is that that you look at art, why it is that yeah. you consume art, why it is that you are an ambassador for art. Um, and I use art in every in every way. And you know, there was a moment a few weeks ago where you think. You know, I want to see everything. I want to see, you know, a broadcast a ballet. I want to see... And then you think, ah, this is so frustrating because it's the... It's the tactility of hearing... Like, I haven't heard someone play an instrument near me since March 18th. Yeah. Like, that is so... It's yeah crazy and that hasn't been the case yep. since I'm what nine years old so anyway so in terms of, in, in terms of inspiration <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say to take it all the way back right all Pair the way right back, back into back to the minimalism. The, back to the minimalism back to back to middle sea of of you know back, back to the the the, sing, the single line or you know uh, f- thinking of I mean for me I, I've gone back to really early, um texts and really early, sacred texts and really early um things to just, ima- just imagine to rebuild that, rebuild why it is that all of this is happening. It's horrible.
1: Yeah. And
2: every and every day, you know, it's I, I'm not sure how to turn the panic of this moment into something beautiful. But and this is not me saying like things will rise, whatever. It's more saying if there is one thing that I think artists and people who work, who create and curate environments in which art happens, um, know how to do, it is to take that one thing and then figure out the way to to force it to duplicate or to divide into two things. Mm-hmm. And I, I I do believe that we do know how to do that, and that that's going to be the thing that gets us out of the, out yeah. of this nonsense. Gosh. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, great answer. Thank so that's you. That's like the most yeah, yeah. the
2: most downer thing ever. <laughs>
0: No, but completely honest and really thank you very much for 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 such an honest answer rather than a sort of um a, a one liner um, it's complicated um it's yeah it's complicated Nico, I, mean, I, it's, I, I told you before
2: yeah. i i i walked to my studio uh to, through broken glass like all, all the way up second avenue it's just it, you know we're in this moment of of great um I don't even know We're, it's a, it's a, it's an entirely different world than yeah. it was. And in a lot of ways, it's the same world, right. Of the same injustices, the same, you know, top-down violence, the same things in which we are all in various ways complicit. And so really like, if you're going to breathe something in, breathe that all in and figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. It.
0: Thank you. Um, Nico, if people want to hear more or, and to find out more about you and your work, um, where can they go?
2: Uh, you can just type my name into the internet and it'll be like... <laughs> <laughs> go to the internet. Absolutely fine. That'll work. The internet knows. She knows. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, I mean, <clears throat> if you want to just hear some music, you can go to iTunes, yes. you can go to Spotify, you can go... Um, if you want to read... Uh, I used to kind of blog a lot, but I don't anymore. Uh, you can just go to myname.com. Uh, you can... I think that's it. I don't know. Call me. Email me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is amazing. Thank you so much, Nico. Thank you so much. Thanks for your great questions.
2: Thank you very much. This
1: was brilliant. Um, And, you know, thanks to everyone for listening. And join us next time for more creative and insightful chat. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Bye.
1: Bye.